0: Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations, sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis.
1: We are here, and we are so very glad you've joined us this morning. We have a wonderful show for you today with a topic you probably haven't heard a great deal about. And we're going to be talking about the Hidden Heroes and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for Military Caregivers. This is a group of people who, and it's a large group, five and a half million strong, that take care of our wounded, ill, and injured veterans and service members. I'm here today with Tassambra Kimes.
2: Tassambra, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited (laughs) about today's show.
1: You know, I am too, because both you and I have very close ties to this community. Uh, With full disclosure, in addition to Military Network Radio, I am the founder of VeteranCaregiver.com and have been working in this space for about 10 years. And Tassambra is a caregiver for her veteran husband. So between us, we have an awful lot of caregiving experience and knowledge about the stresses, the strains, and how people really are very unaware of this team of amazing people that take care of their wounded warriors, their veterans, their active duty, and they've come for gamut. So it's spouses and parents and mm-hmm. partners, and siblings, and friends, and you know this from your own experience.
2: I do, I do, and it's just, it's it's so exciting, that's that's why I said I'm excited to be on this morning. I mean, there's, there's so many considerations for caregivers, and the Dole Foundation is driving the effort to bring about community involvement, public-private partnerships, and they're coordinating the efforts needed on Capitol Hill for Change, and that is just really exciting. It absolutely
1: is. And I think one of the biggest points that has always struck me is that oftentimes caregivers do not even self-identify as a caregiver. They feel as though they are just, just, in quotes, taking care of a spouse or a child, etc., and they don't realize that that is indeed caregivers. If you're helping someone with their medications, uh, their mobility, and in more serious cases, you know, really their daily tasks. And I think it's important to note that there is a great deal of attention to, out of the 5.5 million, there are myriad resources for our post-9-11 veterans and even toward their caregivers. There's 1.1 out of that 5.5 are from recent conflicts, but you can do the math pretty quickly and discover that there are Caregivers that run from all, every single conflict that ever existed. And it is a gamut and the institutions have got to adjust. Uh, someone said to me five years ago, now things have changed since then, but said to me that the VA in the olden days was really versed around hearing aid batteries and uh, oh. aging issues only. Wow. And now they are dealing with enormous issues um, from, in the older veterans, untreated uh, PTSD and traumatic brain injury, right. uh, physical injuries. You name it, caregivers take care of it all. And in many cases, they are the most integral part of the care team because they live with that person day in, day out.
2: But you've experienced this do you feel that the caregiver is an equal part of the care team? You know, I do and it's so funny that you said that we don't self-identify as caregivers because I didn't. I remember um, you know, first time hearing that and I thought, well, yeah, this is this is what I do. You know, I've I take care of my husband, you know, I've he's had countless surgeries and you know, uh, different issues, you're talking about managing the prescriptions. And, you know, I kind of giggled when you mentioned hearing aid batteries, I and mean, because there's so many things that, that are involved, but you're so caught up as a caregiver, you're so caught up in just doing and managing. And I mean, you throw kids in the mix, and there's even more like you're mm-hmm. just, you, you are just on the go. And you think it's a natural thing, you know, um, right. you, you don't think twice about what you're doing. You know, and when it comes to looking for help, sometimes it's a matter of, oh, oh wow, like so I'm not the only one that's going <laughs> going through this. So there's there's actually help out there and knowing where to find it. And you know, it's 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 tricky, but it's it's so good. It's so good that we're getting better and better at it.
1: Well, and that's why we're talking to the Elizabeth Sowell Foundation for military caregivers today. Because yeah. one of the aspects that they are doing is uh, running a registry so that they can have uh, actual numbers of caregivers and know where they're located, because that also helps to direct the services. So I am very, very excited about this, as, as I know you are. So I think yes. we should invite our guests to join us. Uh, we are joined today by Executive Director Steve Schwab and the Director of Programs Laurel Rodewald. And so welcome, both of you, to Military Network Radio.
3: Thank you so much. We're thrilled to be with you today.
1: hi yes, to you both. Well, it, it really is one that's so near and dear to us that, that you know we found ourselves talking prior to the show about how we could probably turn this into a series of programs because right. topics are so wide and varied. And I think what we'd like to get across today, and I'd love if you could direct your comments to it, is that caregivers are absolutely vital to the care of our veterans. And the inclusion of the caregiver on the care team brings better health outcomes. So supporting the caregiver is not only the right thing to do, but it's also a healthy thing to do for the entire family and well-being. So can you both talk a little bit about what you do at the Dole Foundation, and we'll take it from there. Steve, why
3: don't you start? Linda, thanks. I I would like to comment just on on something you just said, um, because it resonates. Mm -hmm. Really, it's fundamental to the uh, efforts that we've undertaken at the Foundation, and that is the importance, um, um, the fundamental importance of supporting the caregiver. When we started our work uh, a little over five years ago, based on an extraordinary public service career that Senator Dole has led over 45 years depending on her experience to sort of guide the way on how we tackle this issue, we commissioned uh, the RAND Corporation to um, undertake the largest comprehensive study ever conducted on this population. And among the many things that that study said and the many concerning things that that study uncovered is that an investment in the caregiver is a direct investment in the health of the wounded warrior. And in fact, the caregiver is the main determinant On the welfare, health, and recovery of the wounded warrior. And so I think that's one of the messages that we've promoted throughout our work um, Mm -hmm. to organizations that need to understand that at the side of that wounded warrior, who obviously needs our support in many, many ways, is that caregiver um, who you pointed out doesn't often raise their hand and serves in silence in the shadows, and say, and they are reluctant. To self-identify.
1: You raised the very point why so many of us moved into this space. When I began working with the Wounded Warrior Regiment at Quantico, there was wonderful communication and help for the Wounded Warriors, but the families were not as integral to the process. Once they were made integral, they saw leaps and bounds in the health outcomes and the communication and the cohesion of the family. And it's, it's our premise that the caregivers are really the glue that holds the families together and makes the strengths of the relationships before war uh, and afterward possible. And there are huge stresses and strains, which I hope we can speak candidly about today, because I right. think our audience may not know as much about caregiving as this group on the phone Certainly does. So Laurel, can you talk a little bit about some of the programs that have been developed to address those very needs?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So here at the the Dole Foundation, uh, I oversee all of the programs, um, including our um, Innovation Grants Program, our National Coalition and Impact Councils, and our uh, Dole Caregiver Fellows Program. And that's really the one that um, we I would love to focus on a little bit because uh, this is the one that really gives a voice to the caregivers across America. Um, We have uh, caregiver fellows. um, They're active caregivers serving um, veterans and active duty service members. Um, And we have a caregiver fellow in each state in Puerto Rico. And they're really just, they're the lifeblood of this foundation. They, um, you know, guide us in our work. They um, advocate on behalf of their fellow caregivers. And um, they're really the reason that we all get up in the morning. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's a lot about our program. Yeah, and
3: it? I'd say, you know, Linda, um, the, the programmatic approach we've taken is one of empowerment. We want to focus on providing tools to caregivers so that they can do what they do so well on the ground and supporting their wounded warriors. The other thing I would say is that a point you made earlier this effort needs to be holistic, um, mm-hmm. and that's why um, we we formed a coalition of 300-plus organizations across the public, private, nonprofit, and faith communities to tackle the unbelievable issues facing these caregivers, filling in the gaps in services and support, um, bringing financial uh, support where it's necessary, mental health, respite support. Um, there are you know, headlines that emerge from that RAND study that make it very obvious where we need to plug the holes to support caregivers. Um, and so our programs focus on bringing all those resources to bear on the ground where they're needed. Um, and we'll potentially talk a little bit more about the campaign that we've launched and how we intend to do that across the country.
1: We're talking about the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for Military Caregivers, and we'll be right back after these messages.
0: We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on veterancaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan complex, There are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving? EFMP, or aging issues, VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com Support for those who care.
1: our discussion with Steve Schwab and Laurel Rodewald of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for Military Caregivers. Right before the break, because we always run out of time it seems, uh Tisombra, you had a question further about the details with the fellows, the Dole Fellows yes. and their role.
2: Yes, I did. So I was I was curious and and I don't know if Laurel maybe you can speak on that. Um, you know, so what does being a fellow mean, you know, to the caregiver? Yeah, I know you guys mentioned um, a lot of the resources and things, but, you know, just what do they do exactly?
4: Yeah, sure. So our fellows um, are the voice for the foundation. They have a lot of media interviews. Um, They represent their communities. Um, They meet with their congressional representatives. We actually had them um, out last week, uh, last Monday, and they had over 150 meetings on the Hill um, to advocate for uh, caregivers all around the country. So they are out there on the ground doing the work that we can't do because we are you know, here in D.C. all the time. Um, so they're really the the community boys. Um, and they, I would say, you know, they play a huge part in reaching out to other caregivers and really, um, you know, getting them excited about their role and, and uh, making them realize, to that identification piece, making them realize the value of what they do, which is just paramount
3: for us. You know, I think we find, just to build on what Laurel said, uh, these fellows are some of the most powerful individuals I've ever met. And so Mm -hmm. what we strive to do through the program is give them the tools to be successful in their role at home, but also to help their fellow caregivers in their region, in their states, to um, pass on that empowerment to provide that strength and that ear and that shoulder to lean on. It's a very entrepreneurial program in that we provide training and tools and resources, and it's extraordinary what we find um, from one state to another. One, one fellow will uh, start a community resource group. Another fellow will uh, launch a lobbying campaign. Uh, a different fellow will get involved with the small businesses in their community. So, um, you know, we have a number of things that we encourage them to focus on, and each fellow puts their own personal stamp on it, brings their own personal passion to the program, and that's what really makes it unique. But what we find universally among all of them is that um, by virtue of their association in the program, they become um, even more powerful and effective advocates and ambassadors for the cause. And the, the, the comments and the feedback that we get from caregivers, which are so heartening to me, is that they find strength through their association in the program, in uh, their peer relationships, the ability to help other caregivers.
1: Uh, You just said an awful lot. And what it boils down to, if I might, is affirmation and recognition and peer support of what they do each and every day. Where they may have felt isolated and alone, you give them a voice and they give voice to others. And so it's a wonderful method of spreading and being a force multiplier in terms of reaching out to caregivers. Is that an adequate statement?
3: Absolutely, Linda. You said it. You said it perfectly.
1: Well, I think all of us who, who work in this space know that there are so many stressors. And we'll get into those a little bit later. I would love it if you could talk about the launch of the Hidden Heroes campaign last week and the coalition of uh, supportive organizations and, and give a little understanding as to how big a deal last week really was in the life of caregivers across our nation.
3: Thanks, Linda. Um, I'm glad you said it was a big deal because we feel like it was a big <laughs> deal. Um, <laughs> um, you know it was a big by, deal. I, it was, <laughs> hard work and energy I feel like brought us to the point uh, that we reached last week and that is having spent several years um, uh, with our nose to the grindstone, um, starting some programs, getting the research done, building a coalition brought us to the moment where we were ready to launch a national movement. And Tom Hanks agreed about a year ago to serve as chair of this campaign, has been working side-by-side with us to really create that movement, to build a brand, to find partners like Comcast NBC, Um, And the myriad of sponsors who signed on from USAA to Independence Fund, um, Phillips, uh, Pritzker Military Museum and Library brought a lot of resources to bear. And what our aim is, um, it's a multidimensional movement or campaign. First and foremost, we're focused on um, building awareness so that caregivers self-identify. We know that there are five and a half million military and veteran caregivers across the country. And you said earlier, there was no registry that existed to account for where those caregivers are. So we want every caregiver across the country who's listening right now and those who will listen after to raise their hands and go to hiddenheroes.org and sign on to our registry. Make yourselves known. Plot yourself on our interactive map so we know where you need resources. That's one big part of our focus in the campaign. The other is to find resources. We've um, surveyed. Hundreds of organizations, and on HiddenHeroes.org, we have listed effective, vetted, well-researched resources. It's not thousands of resources; it's a couple hundred because we want to make sure that these are these are uh, resources that actually fundamentally support, directly support the caregiver. And so we're we're growing that resource list um, even since we launched last week, and that's a big um, effort. The other part of Um, the campaign is, I should say two other parts of the campaign, is creating a community online where these caregivers can go. You know, Linda, from your work um, that a lot of communities exist out there, and uh, Mm -hmm. the the best thing you can do um, is to link a caregiver with their peers. Bring them out of their uh, feelings of isolation and let them know that there are other caregivers out there who are just like them. So hiddenheroes.org brings people into the life and the stories of a military caregiver. It connects them with a community, gives them the resources uh, that they can choose to uh, avail themselves of when they're ready for it. We don't hit them in the face too hard when they come to that site. We want a a gentle touch um, that helps move them through the caregiving continuum and helps them find the resources that they need. The other really big part that we're very excited about um, of our campaign Is a new program called the Hidden Heroes Cities program. Uh, We announced last week that 54 cities across America have signed on to become Hidden Heroes Cities. San Diego is our pilot city, and we're calling on mayors all across the country to raise their hands and work with us to create a community that recognizes, supports, and appreciates caregivers. And Mayor Falconer in San Diego is working with us on a blueprint that'll be shared across all of those other cities to bring together a leadership group organizations that currently do and currently don't support caregivers to learn how they can and really create a sense in the community that caregivers exist that they welcome them to self-identify and that they push them towards that registry um, at hiddenheroes.org and so we'll bring resources to bear in those efforts Um, and help these cities become better positioned to support caregivers. We'll do it city by city. Um, We'll do it one step at a time, and slowly but surely, hopefully we'll reach every corner of this country.
2: Steve, that's great. I'm I'm so happy that you mentioned, um, you know, signing up with the registry. I do have to say that I signed up this morning, so I'm signed up and in there. Um, And Mm -hmm. you're talking about the Hidden Heroes Cities program, and I wonder, you know, That must be one really good way to raise awareness about the role of military caregivers. Are there other things or other ways that you're doing this, uh, raising the awareness?
3: We are. Thank you for asking. So we have a a multidimensional partnership with Comcast NBC. Um, We're working with their 252 affiliates across the country to spotlight stories on the ground across America to feature uh, fellows and caregivers like yourself, who... Through by virtue of telling their stories, will move their community to action. Tom Hanks produced a really wonderful PSA that we premiered last week at the launch, which will be airing um, on NBC and across um, other networks. We've also done a broad-based print PSA campaign, and there will be ads appearing in magazines from People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Time, others who are helping us tell this story this is not a one-shot deal. Our efforts to build awareness and to have this conversation across America is a long-term goal. Um, so we plan to sustain these efforts over the next several months and years. We're, we're talking to partners who are gonna help us um, have these conversations in their communities. We're talking to corporate partners who are helping us build awareness among their employee groups. Um, so it's really uh, um, uh, a comprehensive effort It's not focused on, you know, we were fortunate, for instance, to launch on the Today Show last week. Um, But that's not the first and last time you're going to hear us on a national news show. Um, We're already talking about um, how our ambassadors like Matt Lauer and Tom Brokaw, Tom Hanks, Tim McGraw are going to help us um, tell this story um, in their own um, uh, constituent groups. So it's really, and, and by the way... We're seeking ambassadors um, of every kind. So if any of your listeners feel like they could be an effective ambassador, um, they should contact us through HiddenHeroes.org.
1: I think those are very valid points. I have a comment, and then I have a question. I think one of the biggest fallacies, because I have not seen it happen as much as some people say, is that there is a huge civilian-military divide I have found that when you can bring topics and address issues that people can help with and they're made aware of them, that that divide shrinks to nothing. Because when people know about an issue, they know that there might be a veteran living down the street, but when they see this PSA and they see that, oh, that means his wife is a caregiver. And so, I think it bridges that civilian military divide. I think that's pretty important. Um, but that, that's just me because I do believe we have a nation that really appreciates our military and finds it very noble what everyone is doing and can help. Now, my question comes down to, because I'm not sure all of our listeners know these things. Some, some of the prevalent conditions are I'm going to name these, and then after the break, we will come back and talk about them. Let's put these in your mind for now. Some of the prevalent conditions faced by caregivers every day are fatigue, isolation, PTSD, TBI, mobility, limb loss, and their future. So that's just a tiny list that we'll start with. And we'll come back after a break. We're talking about the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for Military Caregivers. and We'll be right back after these messages. We're
0: Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, Encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. Continuing our discussion with Steve Schwab and Laurel Rodewald of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for Military Caregivers. And right before the break, I listed this list of conditions that caregivers deal with every day. But I think it's important for those who are listening who are family members who may not really understand what some of these things are, especially the invisible injuries Mm -hmm. of PTSD and TBI, that the two of you, uh, and either of you talk, or talk both of you, uh, about so some of the things that face caregivers and why it's challenging and what we can do to help.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Linda. Um, to answer that, I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about one of our fellows, um, Jenny Beller from Indiana. Uh, she is a pre-9-11 caregiver to her husband, Chuck. Um, he was in the Air Force during Vietnam. Um, and they had, you know, a really, truly normal life until he had a stroke related to his service-connected diabetes. Mm. And now he suffers from paralysis, aphasia, and a whole host of other um, issues. So I just imagine going from that normal life to a life where you're constantly taking care of your spouse. And that is just, you know, the shock of that is something that's difficult to get over, you must feel so alone in that role, um, perhaps even a little bit um, embarrassed that you're now having such a huge relationship dynamic shift. Uh, And so you go through depression, you go through isolation, you go through anxiety, you have to fight every day to get the proper care and treatment for your veteran. And it's even, and I I give the example of a pre-9-11 caregiver because it's even more difficult. For them, after so long, not having to deal with these issues and then to go and jump right into this whole lifestyle, it's incredibly tough. And, um, you know, I I bring up Jenny not to, you know, um, sound sad or depressing or anything, but because she has now found the um, Dole Foundation and she is now a fellow. And she said that that um, really finding a community that was like her, that is what, you know, brought her back and, and to understand that there are people out there who are going through the same things that you are, that you are not different or your situation is not completely out of the ordinary. That's so important. That's just so important.
3: It um, is.
0: Steve, can you talk about the invisible injuries a bit?
3: I, I can. And Laurel, thank you because that's, that's really what it's all about. And I could, sure um, you know, Linda, w- one of the things that we did, um, uh, in our launch uh, events last week was we held a first-time um, national conference with the VA. And uh, the VA, you know, um, has come a long way in its support of the caregiver community, and I give a ton of credit to Secretary McDonald for his transformational leadership. He's trying to get some of the root causes that have plagued the veteran community and enhanced um, recognition and support of the caregiver Inside of the policy constraints that the VA faces and their ability to fully support that community, and, and even still, they're, they're, they're trying really, really hard to do better. Um, so we partnered with the VA in bringing together hundreds of leaders like yourself and practitioners in the field to openly discuss um, the kinds of issues, Linda, that you mentioned, the invisible wounds that are facing um, uh, PTS and TBI. Uh, which are overwhelmingly um, facing the caregivers of post nine eleven veterans. Those are the wounds that most people across the country can't see. Uh, okay. These aren't folks in wheelchairs. Um, these aren't folks who outwardly show the signs of injury, but inside they're struggling big time. Um, and because we don't know en- enough about these invisible wounds, um, the system in both inside the VA and outside doesn't know enough about how to care for them. And so there are a lot of gaps, uh, and we're learning a lot as we go. Uh, and so the conversation that we had last week um, is a starting point. Um, it's the VA putting a stake in the ground and saying that um, it's important to discuss uh, the implications of those invisible wounds on those that are caring for them. It's important for us to listen to caregivers talk about the struggles that they're facing day in and day out, dealing with and learning to deal with how to care for invisible wounds, understanding the signs, knowing how to be there for their veteran, um, and then having leaders within the VA and leaders across the field, supportive leaders across our coalition who are there to be able to respond. Um, and so what where we aim to take uh, those conversations as a result of that really terrific conference that we co-hosted with the VA and the Mayo Clinic actually is the development of a knowledge Uh, research roadmap so that we can begin to plot out those areas like the invisible wounds that we don't know enough about and really put a stake in the ground and say, we need more research. We need more knowledge in those areas to be effective supports for caregivers.
4: I I might just talk a little bit about, um, just to even put a a more pointed um, face on this, for caregivers um, who are dealing with invisible wounds, if you think about the triggers that veterans have that might trigger their PTSD um, or uh, whatever they they're suffering from, those become secondary triggers for caregivers. If you think about it, if if you know that your veteran is going to be triggered by a crowd, aren't you then going to be nervous and anxious around crowds? And so most definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, It's really um, the caregiver really takes on the burden of of the symptoms for the veteran. And that's why it's just so important that we really understand these invisible wounds um, because, you know, it's not just the veteran suffering from them.
0: Interestingly enough, though, Laurel, I I think it has to be said to be fair. We have been at war for a very long time and PTSD in various forms has existed back as long as we've ever had wars. I I do agree there is always room for more research and understanding. But we do know enough that it's changes in um, neuroendocrine function, that there are behavioral health issues, that there are now complementary and alternative therapies that can help. On the TBI, the traumatic brain injury side, we have actually the NFL to sh- help us with greater awareness of brain injuries. And it's a long term caregiving uh, walk. It's a long term journey. And brain but the brain is not like a muscle. It it takes a long time and, and very innovative and creative therapies to do things. So I I think that the foundation's research and all of that is very, very good. But I, I believe that with the centers of excellence at the VA, and we've talked to a number of them on this program, they t- need to also stretch and to address these needs after 15 years of war and conditions that have existed before now. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, Linda, I, cou- I couldn't agree more. And, and I think, to be honest with you, I think that the VA, uh, DOD, and others agree as well. Um I think there are really good people and really good leaders inside those centers of excellence who are doing everything that they can with the resources that they have um, uh, to uh, learn and deliver services and support. You know, what many of these uh, practitioners lack is longitudinal data. Mm -hmm. True. These programs haven't been around for a long time. And so um, that's why I mentioned earlier that in a lot of cases with these invisible wounds, we're still learning as we go. But to your point, what we have to do is we have to make a universal commitment that we're not going to stop, that we're going to stick with this, that resources are going to increase year over year, that invisible wounds are going to become just as important and just as recognized by the medical community and the civilian community as visible wounds, and that the stigma that exists, the universal paralyzing stigma that exists in general about mental health needs to be battled. We need to, um, we need to push that aside. We need to make people feel like um, they can be comfortable and open about um, the, the visible wounds that their veteran faces and the mental and emotional illnesses that they might be facing as a result.
0: Agreed entirely. And and Laurel, to your earlier point about secondary PTS, it is very real, it is very prevalent, and perhaps you could speak a bit to the fact that this doesn't just affect caregivers, it also affects children. And in the case of someone being a sandwich caregiver, caring for, say, a special needs child or aging parents, as well as their wounded warrior, when you're taking on secondary PTS symptoms, so anxiety, fatigue, um, nervous energy, uh, lack of sleep, and, and all sorts of things, that complicates things. And maybe you have a story to share on that.
4: Yeah, um, well, you're absolutely right. Uh, and this is one of the things that um, we're actually on the foundation are these military children who um, you know are affected by their moms and dads coming back from war with physical, and uh, invisible injuries, um, we're forming uh, an impact council actually around military children um, so that we can work with our partners like Military Child Education Coalition uh, and the National Military Family Association um, to uh, focus on the issues that military children face um, by being part of these families. And, you know, there's so so many of our fellows have kids and um, you know we actually had an email yesterday um, from a fellow who was talking about her, her kid who's just been this incredible support to their entire family he has taken on um, you know helping care for his younger siblings um, and uh, you know through his entire childhood has really recognized um, and stepped up to the plate to help out his family and and if I may um, talk a little bit a specific story that um, I heard from my coworker Emery Populaski, um, who is a caregiver herself, um, she talked about how, you know, her daughter, uh, having been around so many veterans, um, you know, is, is really not phased anymore by someone with a missing limb um, or you know uh, difficulties in any other way. And so when a child came to her school who he was born without an arm she accepted him right away, where the other kids were a little afraid of them. So, you know, there's there's challenges for military kids, but there's also just an incredible um, amount of uh, depth and support. Um, and just, they're wonderful. They really are just
0: wonderful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we agree are. with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> yes. And um, while you're talking about children, we, we've actually done a program about the risk with teens because they're straddling that bridge Of helping as well as trying to grow up themselves. So I'm so grateful that you're taking on those aspects of caregiving as well because they truly matter. We will talk further about this after a short break. We're Mill Resource Radio and we'll be back after these short messages. a Dynamic Woman, Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful, with freedom to address topics from various perspectives, with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly, with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, Also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere.
2: Ty, I believe you had the next question. I did. So, you know... Steve or Laurel, either one of you, feel free to to jump in here and answer this. But, you know, I'm sitting here listening, and all these, this information is so good. And I wonder, what are the most pressing needs that caregivers have shared with you?
3: Thanks for that question. You know, um, there are some universal needs. Um, what I, one thing I would say is that each caregiver's story is unique. That's what i mm-hmm. um, But uh, what the research tells us and what our fellows show us every day is that... Um, mental and emotional needs are probably among the most prevalent. Um, folks need um, counseling support, um, they need medical support. A lot of caregivers, uh, according to the data that we see, uh, are without sustained uh, medical doctors uh, So, uh, and practitioners. Um, mm-hmm. Caregivers, among their most urgent priority is respite support. A lot of people don't know what that means. Uh, respite to a caregiver is uh, is like giving them a million bucks. It's um, <laughs> right.
2: It's, it's I'm laughing because I'm like, yes, it
3: really is. <laughs> it's a neighbor knocking on the door and saying, "Let me take the kids for the afternoon, and let me let you go get your uh, hair done, or go uh, to the batting cage, um, or to play some golf." Um, it's uh, organizations that do retreats for caregivers um, and trips out of the house give that family a break. Um, employment support is among the top uh, issues as well. We need to give caregivers um, flexible work, if we can, work in the home. We need uh, employee environments that are supportive of caregivers, employers who understand that caregivers exist and how to support them. Um, And we need communities, and this is the beauty of the city's program, need communities that recognize caregivers. Linda, you said earlier something that we wanna stress, and that is, what we find most of the time that caregivers need is that recognition. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to say, I know what you're going through. Um, I understand um, and will be there for you. And once those folks are recognized, um, then they uh, feel supported and they come out of that isolation. Um, and they're, um, it, it's a really freeing feeling, I would say. Well, what else would you say?
4: I would just say that um, yeah, to your point about community understanding, it's really understanding the uh, the very specific needs that they have. Um, and I would say uh, to the respite point, it's it's really about having someone you can trust to take care of your veteran. I think a lot of caregivers um, don't want to allow uh, others in the home to take care of uh, their veteran or service member for good reason, you know, they often don't understand the needs, especially with invisible wounds that accompany that veteran. Um, and so I would say just that culture of support. And even if you don't um, fully understand what the caregiver is going through, if you're making that effort to reach out and to try and understand them and to learn that, hey, when, when I visit, I shouldn't ring the doorbell because that may trigger the veteran. that I should knock or send a text. And it's, it's the little things that show... Um, the care and attention uh, that caregivers really look for.
0: I would say. You know, Laurel, I would like to add just a little vignette to that because I've heard it a thousand and one times, is that when caregivers do leave the house to go pick up children or go to the grocery store quickly, etc., it is not at all unusual for a veteran who may have invisible needs, the PTSD and and the trust issues and the anxiety of separation, etc., it is not unusual for them to be texting them every three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Sometimes the only respite a caregiver will get is sitting in the car down the street, not yet driving into the driveway, because that's the only time that they can be alone with themselves. And so while respite is offered in some cases, it's not always taken because there's a resistance, not just by the caregiver, but often by the veteran. And people need to understand that 24-7 means 24-7 for a caregiver, and that wears you out.
4: Absolutely. You know, one of our fellows, um, she was in, in D.C. for the week, and she, um, she got sick, unfortunately. Uh, and, you know, we kept telling her, well, go to the go to CVS Minute clinic, go to, um, you know, go to the hospital, everything. Uh, and she said, "Well, I, I don't know that I can. I think I have to get home because I don't have enough respite. That was her mm. thought process. So even, even when they aren't taking a break, they're not taking a break. Their mind is with their veteran. So they're absolutely right about them not always um, feeling comfortable with the respite options or feeling like they can take that Mental and physical break from their caregiving responsibilities.
0: Well, and I think it's important to note that caregivers are pressed for time for logistics for they they are the master resourceful person in the household and Sometimes that respite has to come from within which is where things like art therapy writing journals um, you have to learn self-care Steve, can you speak to the importance of self-care and how to actually reinforce it for caregivers?
3: Yeah, Linda, good point. Um, I can speak to the importance of it, and I think we, we try to So we're blue in the face, and we have a hard time getting our caregivers to listen. Um, you, may, you may have heard that last week at, that, at the conference. We had a, a noted self-care leader, uh, Dr. Amit Sood from the Mayo He was
0: amazing.
3: Talk about yeah, and right. if you have a chance, listeners. Go to go to his website, the Mind Body Institute at Mayo. He talked all about self care and mm-hmm. self mental health care, um, breathing, um, meditating, getting up in the morning and thinking about what you're thankful for versus what's uh, stressing you out or what's on your mind. There's simple things that we can do, caregivers can do day to day, that decreases that burden. But we really, what we have to do, Linda, is we have to challenge caregivers to do it. We have to help them take on new habits, healthy habits, um, that, that are not always comfortable and easy to do in the course of a nonstop day. Um, well, yeah,
4: and, and I would say this is where the importance of caregivers supporting other caregivers comes in. For right. our fellows who are further along the journey than some other Caregivers, they are constantly reinforcing the fact yeah. that they need to take a break, um, they need to take some time, and that other people should too. So if it's if it's a constant, um, you know, message, not just from us, from the foundation staff, but from caregivers themselves, that's so important because you you cannot do it all the time, twenty four seven. You need to take a break. That is
2: just paramount. I'm sure but it's I so loved- much more meaningful, you know, coming from the peer and having that peer support. I'm sure it's just that is, is such a a strengthening thing to have. And a, and a side comment
0: for those of you who are rolling your eyes at, you know, going to a website and finding out self-care. You should know <laughs> that Dr. Sood gave you tips that can be used in five and a half minutes a day. Two and a half minutes, 30 seconds, and another two minutes. And it's pretty amazing But it made a difference in that room, and that little habit, the the ones that he gave at the meeting, will change your world for the better. And we have to take the baby steps before we take the bigger ones. So I guess what I would like to ask the group before we leave, where are you going next? You know, what are the advocacy groups that you're working with going to do, and what are some of the efforts needed on Capitol Hill?
3: Linda, that's a great point, um, and that's probably one of the biggest parts of our, our mission that we left out is um, we we have a responsibility uh, to, to lead um, uh, on the advocacy front, and we will and, and we are. Our fellows, as the world noted, went on 150 meetings across the Hill. What we're finding is that a lot of these policymakers aren't even aware of this issue. It's not just hidden across right. America. It's hidden on Capitol Hill, and so the more that we can that, raise awareness, get these policymakers to join the Hidden Heroes Caucus, which exists on the Hill. We want it to be the biggest caucus on Capitol Hill. Um, that that uh, will make a big difference. Our priorities legislatively are uh, passing the Military and Veteran Caregiver Services Improvement Act. Mm-hmm. That's an act that um, offers support to all eras of war um, and allows the VA to extend in a phased way benefits to caregivers of all eras. Um, It increases respite support. It loosens the eligibility for the caregiver program, which, as many folks know, is limited to a small um, uh, section of the post-9-11 caregivers. Um, We also would like to see increased uh, support for respite in communities and states across the country. There's a program called the uh, Lifespan Respite Care Act, um, and we have partners who are pushing an expansion of that act to give grants to states to create programs on the ground that help um, caregivers receive the respite that we talked about that's so important. And so advocacy um, is a huge priority for us. And we have a leader, of course, in Senator Elizabeth Doe, who has a little bit of experience on that front. So we spend a lot of time on the Hill. She's creating um, uh, great relationships with leaders there and making a difference, partnering with organizations like AARP to um, advance uh, a national caregiver strategy through the RAISE Act Mm -hmm. is another big priority. So we want to be collaborative as we move across the hill. But to get to your other question on on where we're going, Linda, you know, this caregiver issue, um, it's an issue that faces women across America. It's an issue that faces men. Um, We had a a caregiver last week, Jason Corning, who's one of our fellows, talk about how important it is for male caregivers to raise their hands. Caregiving is not just a female role. There are a lot of men out there who are caring for female veterans and female service members. And um, Jason uh, shared his powerful story of caring for his Coast Guard wife who's suffering from the invisible wounds of war. Um, and And the challenges that he's encountered and his children have encountered. And he said, in speaking to his male counterparts and peers, Uh, there shouldn't be a stigma to identifying yourself as a caregiver, being a man. Um, Men um, should stand up, um, go to hiddenheroes.org, and identify and encourage their other peers to do the same. Um, This is a mission that we want um, uh, and an effort that we want every community to know about and every caregiver to respond to.
0: I think one of the biggest points is this registry, and you make a very good point, especially for those who are maybe not associated with the VA yet. There are a great number of our Vietnam veterans who very belatedly come to the VA. And so I hope that in our listening audience, any of you who are a Vietnam veteran, uh, caregivers, uh, Korean caregivers, uh, Gulf War, etc., that you do come and register on this registry so that they know where you are and how big the issue really is because we're forget, forgetting things like Kosovo and Serbia and the Falkland Islands and there are many places that we have fought that have injuries associated with them and care needed. How do our listeners learn more? Tell them where to go to learn more information. You
3: can go to hiddenheroes.org, uh, sign on to the Uh, National Registry, if you're um, a civilian who wants to get involved, you can take action on that website and learn about how you can support caregivers. Folks can donate to the cause. Um, But most importantly, um, we want caregivers to go to that site, um, identify, um, find the resources that they need, and get connected to their peers and the community of support. I think they'll find it's it's easy to do, um, it's the right thing to do, and it's empowering to do it. You know,
0: Steve and Laurel, thank you so much for being with us today and to Sambra obviously, you as well. Thank Thank you for sharing the fact that our military caregivers, veteran caregivers, require the empathy, recognition, affirmation that what they do is vital to the care of our military and veteran families each day. We appreciate you being on today and hope you'll come back again sometime. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.